glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Yes. Yes. It's a good thing to rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah. Bless his holy name. Thank you, Father. God, we're so glad that you're here with us. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We're not here alone or with a false God. Hallelujah, Jesus. But with the only living, breathing, powerful God of authority and might. Hallelujah, Jesus. So we ask you, Lord Jesus, to help us to arrest our intellect for your Holy Spirit to flow through our minds as well as our hearts. Lord Jesus, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the reconciled church. Resurrect our dead spirits to come alive to the work of your Spirit here in this tabernacle and in every individual temple that is present. Holy Spirit, revive us once again. Restore us back to our Heavenly Father so that the joy of our salvation will return. And then we will shout the praise and glory to your wonder-working names. And Lord, I ask you to continue to show me the things you want me to see. So when I speak, Master, will be those things you want me to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, we actually finished with Thessalonica. So now we're going to Timothy. <laughs> so this is First um, Timothy 1. And uh, what I want to do is start out with uh, the introduction of the book. And I'm, so I'm going to read from two, from my um, introduction from my Bible, but I'm also going to read it from um, Dr. Tony Evans' Bible. I read both of them, and, and so I'm going to like interchangeably read this information because it's good stuff, okay? And, I, and, and I'm doing this because it helps us, rather than just diving into the scripture verses, it helps us to understand the background and the history, the purpose and the mission and all of that helps us to understand the verses when we get to them and be able to um, um, what uh, uh, discern them line upon line, precept upon precept, okay? Okay, so 1 Timothy, it says, the letter of 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are often referred to as the pastoral epistles. Each indicates that Paul was the author of both of all three of those books. Nine of Paul's 13 letters were written to churches. Nine of Paul's letters were written to churches. The others were written to Timothy and Titus, to the men of the church. Four were written to individuals, the three pastoral epistles. So one pastoral got two letters. That's Timothy. Okay. So it says that um, the uh, three pastoral epistles were written to two of Paul's co-workers and sons 
and the ministry. They were more than just co-workers to Paul. They were his spiritual sons. And he received them as spiritual sons because they received the truth as it is in the Bible and stood on that. Okay? It's just like accepting uh, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior makes us sons to the Father. But when we don't believe according to his word, then we are not his children. We are only his creation. Are y'all with me? Okay. So it says that um, Timothy and Titus, who were serving in pastoral roles with churches, early church fathers such as Arenas, Arenas identified Paul as the author as well. So you know how you have all of these theologians and professors who want to make a determination whether who was the author, who was the writer, based on style based on the style of writing, not on anything that's legitimate. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. It says, it was not until critical scholars began to question Pauline's authorship in the 19th century, that's recent, that these assertions were disputed. Many critical scholars today deny Pauline authorship because they claim that the pastoral epistles differ in style, vocabulary, and theology from Paul's other letters. Okay, I have my little theory, but let me read here what he says. However, some differences in style and vocabulary hardly demand different authors. Because style and, and, and vocabulary is going to be different. It's predicated upon what the Spirit is speaking Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. Some were, some were penned to individuals and others to hold churches. It's not unreasonable then to believe that Paul might express himself differently in style and vocabulary when writing to an entire church versus when writing to a colleague in ministry. Importantly, regarding the supposed differences in theology, none of the examples raise our actual contradictions, rather they involve different theological emphasis or topics. There are no serious objections then to believing that the letters were authored by the Apostle Paul. In other words, they have no grounds. Okay, so the historical background. Timothy hailed from Lystra in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, a place Paul visited on his first missionary journey. Timothy was the son of a believing Jewish woman and a Greek father. So he was born of a mother who was a believer, but a father who wasn't, okay? And he was likely converted under Paul's ministry, both he and his mother, really. The more research that I did proves that they were, Paul was responsible for their, their salvation, okay? It says, during Paul's second missionary journey, he visited Lystra again and took Timothy with him as a co-worker. Over time, the man served as a trusted companion and ministry ally of unquestionable commitment and character. Titus was also a Gentile convert and co-worker of Paul. He accompanied Paul 
in his missionary work and was often sent on ministry missions. You know what's the blessed part about that is to get um, to get people who are unbelievers, even though they may be in church, to come and 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 sit up under you and you train them according to thus says the Lord out of the Bible, and they become converted, become true believers, Amen. true believers. Paul probably wrote these letters after the time period covered in the book of Acts, released from a Roman imprisonment. Paul continued his missionary work during this time. He left Timothy to minister in Ephesus. Paul also visited Crete and left Titus to minister there. That's how the churches grew, but they were the same. And they didn't deviate from the gospel. Okay, nor the doctrine that was set up by Paul. Okay, it says that when he was again in prison in Rome, that imprisonment would lead to his martyrdom. Now, the message and purpose, and I'm going to read this out of here and also uh, out of my commentary. This is the first of the pastoral epistles that instruct church leaders and members how to do church God's way. Since these epistles, okay. Having left Timothy behind in Ephesus to grow what Paul had himself established, Paul explained to him how the church should work. The key verse of the book is 1 Timothy 3.15, in which Paul says, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Amen. Paul spends a lot of time explaining how to grow and develop church leadership, how leaders are to function, and what their responsibilities entail. I just pray that you have ears to hear and a heart, heart to receive. What church is all about, what our responsibilities are in the church. It is not that you just show up on certain days and, and get your little whatever. It's greater than that. Timothy was to study, learn, and grow himself from God's word and then preach what he was learning. Because when we study, and prepare ourselves, it first hits here, yes. then it goes out. Yes. You have to become a believer of it before you can go out and exclaim it. Amen. Amen. The letter also points out that the quality of leaders affects the quality of the members. Amen. This, in fact, is why Paul was so concerned that Timothy developed the right kind of leaders. Okay, because that statement right there is so powerful. You take on the spirit and the nature of the one who's over you that is speaking into you continuously. And if they're not right and you don't know it, or if their doctrine varies from the Bible, but it sounds spiritual and it sounds correct and there were certain uh, uh, biblical terminologies that was placed with it to make it seem like it's right and you received it and you follow it for any length of time newscast it's indoctrinated in you and you have to denounce it yes. 
to be free from, from, the, from the overcast of that thing? You think because you, you woke up and you realized and you left, that's not the end. Denounce that. Timmy can help pastors and church members maximize their potential in making their church all that God designed it to be in the ministry of his kingdom. Okay? Now, out of my commentary, the purpose. First Timothy lays the foundation for ordaining elders in the local church. It provides an apostolic guideline for ordaining men to the sacred office of the church. In essence, it is a leadership manual for church organization and administration. Its tone is practical and spiritual. Its theme is that of conduct in the church of the living God. God is presented in this epistle as the mediator between God and men. As such, he is the savior of all men who believe in him. He is the Lord of the church to whom Timothy is responsible as an under-shepherd. Thus, the young pastor is to fulfill his duties in light of God's authority. The term bishop is Greek and is used synonymously with the term elder, which is a presbyter, you've heard that term, and refers to the same office. The office of deacon, and which the Greek is diagnosis, means servant is a different office, but with similar qualifications, which means there would be times that you would take, that pl take the place of the pastor when needed because you have the qualifications to do it and the authority by Christ to do it. Amen? Amen. Okay, so this would be uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to begin with verse 1. And the title is Paul's Teaching on Doctrine. Now, the definition of doctrine is Christian truth and teaching passed on from generation to generation as the faith that was delivered to the saints. Okay, now I'm going to read Jude 3 to, that will support that statement. And Jude verse 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Let me, once for all, that was delivered unto the saints. So, the message, the gospel message is about salvation and how salvation comes to pass. And that's what we're to contend for. And that should be the first and primary purpose of our preaching and our teaching. Amen? Not how the church, a particular location operates, <laughs> which is what we've gotten off course. And what our focus is on is, is structural and not biblical kingdom information that sets the soul free and lead us to eternal salvation and rest with God. Okay, we're to, 
We're too involved with church politics. The politics within the church and not with Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, Christian teaching mostly is considered as teaching about God, the gospel, and the comprehensive pattern of Christian truth. That's what the doctrine should be about when you're going to talk about Christian teaching. It should be about God, the gospel, and the comprehensive pattern of Christian truth. You hear what I'm saying? A pattern, consistent pattern of Christian truth, not something that's been deviated. Okay? Which means the word. The word. Now, you also have to realize gospel doesn't show up till we get into the New Testament. Because the gospel is the grace of God redeeming power for believers who no longer is governed by a law that will determine what you do day, to day by day, but you are governed by love that determines who you are, and because of who you are, this is how you act, which now means your end doesn't end. You have eternal life in Christ. Okay? So, okay, let me, um, y'all just bear with me because I'm going to do a lot of, this is more of a a real teaching. I'm going to read out of my Bible dictionary about this doctrine business. The authority for Christian doctrine is the Bible itself. In formulating doctrine, the church takes other authorities into consideration. Experience often reveals the need for doctrinal attention, and true Christian doctrine is to be lived out in faithful Christian experience. That right there is just really powerful. See, we come here and we hear, but you hear and you may rejoice, or maybe you won't rejoice, but you don't ever apply and walk it out and live it out the way what, why we're hearing. We're not, hey, we're not in a position to hear just to hear. We're in a position to hear to become a doer of the word and not just the hearer only. Okay, it says, let me read that. And true Christian doctrine is to be lived out in faithful Christian experience, not just received as matters of intellectual entrance. Reasons is also important in doctrinal formulation, for the tools of reason are dispensable to the task of expressing biblical truths in doctrinal form. Tradition also plays a role for every generation of Christians inherits patterns of belief and practice them from previous generations. We do not begin with a blank state uniform by received traditions. (laughs) Nevertheless, the Bible cannot function merely as one authority among others. The Bible is the controlling and ultimate authority for all matters of Christian belief and practice. Experience, reason, and tradition are to be judged by scripture. And scripture is not to be judged by other authorities. This principle has characterized the church in every period of doctrinal strength and purity. When compromised, false teachings and heresy inevitably follow. Amen. Amen. 
Okay, now, the definition of gospel. The definition of gospel, the word gospel only occurs in the uh, New Testament, but it occurs either as a noun or a verb. And, it, and the literal meaning is good news or proclaiming good news. Okay? Because what, what's so, it's going to be so surprising to you, there is a Greek word for gospel that in the English translation is evangelism. <laughs> All right, it means to evangelize. Because why? You're telling the good news. And what is the good news? That Jesus came on our behalf, shed his blood, died on the cross to redeem us from sin. That's the good news. It's not the traditions of church or the opinions of people in the church. It is a true fact that when you receive it, now you don't have to worry about being governed by law. You follow it automatically because of the love that you have for your Savior. Amen? Evangelism is derived from the Greek word ejelon, I think is how you pronounce it, the Greek meaning, which means gospel or good news. Okay? Uh, and, and the verbal form of ejanzalo, meaning to bring or to announce good news. So that means you go out and evangelize, and when you're evangelizing, you're proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Amen? And so... Uh, in conclusion concerning more about the gospel, the gospel in the New Testament can be summarized as a message about the kingdom of God established in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Who is enthroned as Lord of all. The good news describes events to which all scripture points and declares that all principalities and powers are defeated once and for all by Jesus the Messiah. They have already been defeated, but we realize it by our faith in him. Amen. So the, 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 the gospel message that at one point was very, very popular, like the, uh, and, and, and it was, it was uh, uh, termed as word of faith. It, 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 it was not the gospel. It was not the truth. Because the, what they preached, it's, it's like if you're, do, if you're doing well and, 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 and you're not suffering from lack or, or any of these things, then uh, you're, you're under God's grace and you're saved. That is not the gospel. We will suffer. We will have issues. But the good news is you know a savior that can keep you in peace as you go through and come through. You know a savior that will lead you and guide you where you need to go. And, 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 and that you are wealthy because you have the wisdom of God. And the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you. It has nothing to do with tangible wealth on earth that Matthew said moth will eat up. So why would that be the gospel that we want to lean on? And if you are not well and doing well, you must have sinned. How ludicrous. Then why did Jesus come and die on the cross? 
if that was the case. You know, think about it. God the Father saw after man had sinned and put us in this position and came up with a plan that he left his throne and became a baby and he named himself Jesus to come and save us so that we could be delivered from all of the foolish craziness that's going on in the world. And then somebody going to preach a gospel like that? Okay. Uh, let me finish reading this information. This good news describes events to which all scripture points and declares that all principality and powers are defeated once and for all by Jesus the Messiah. Finally, all humanity will be judged according to their reception or rejection of this good news. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Okay. All right. So, um... I've just built up our little foundation <laughs> of faith. So now let's go, let's go to the scriptures in First uh, Timothy chapter 1. And, and, the, and the other thing is that how you really know that Paul is the author of these epistles is because he always begins with a salutation and he ends with a prayer of salutation. Yeah. Amen. That's, his, that's his M.O., okay? So he says, Paul, I, Paul, an apostle, and, 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 and in it, he declares who he is. He don't come talking about, I'm the pastor, I'm the apostle, I'm the bishop, I'm so-and-so. He declares, of Jesus Christ, which gives me the authority to say what I have to say, which came from his spirit. <laughs> he says, uh, by, the, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. That verse right there is so powerful. So you know this is not a man on, a, on his own personal mission. He's on the mission of, of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Unto Timothy, my own son. Now the, another word for own is true son. Now why did he say true son in the faith? Because he have accepted the gospel. He has accepted the mission. So what he don't mean like true, like he was responsible for him being born in, he means true because you have accepted Jesus Christ and you're following the way. So you are my true son. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. <laughs> uh -huh. Glory. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. He is speaking all of that to Timothy because as always, there are some naysayers who are telling lies concerning the gospel and teaching erroneous scriptures. And so he is encouraging Timothy to stay and continue going in the direction that he has been taught and trained to go in and stay the course. So you don't, you don't waver and falter with everything that you hear. You know... I learned early in my uh, new birth, and thank God, because I would have been jacked up otherwise. Because I, you know, when, you, when you're a newborn in Christ, and, and, and you're very zealous, and, and, and you want to know and all, you will, 
listen and follow everything, trying to, to become knowledgeable. And so, and that's what I did. But go, oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God had his hand on me because I can't tell you why or how, but all of a sudden, that list started fine tuning that list down. Taking them off. Taking them off. Amen. Didn't didn't really know why at the time, but after the after a while of studying and spending time with 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 God and hearing a true gospel message, then I realized, oh, thank you, Father, for delivering me, because I was into it, caught up in it, listening and and, and following, and and and, and want to go everywhere, only to find out. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you, 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 you give us wisdom, and, and you won't let us be deceived if we choose not to be deceived. Now, if, you don't, if, if you're not asking God and seeking God, see, I, maybe that's why, because as a new believer, I was always constantly asking God, show me this, reveal this to me. I want to know, know the word, and I didn't want to be one of those uh, Bible thumpers that will uh, uh, give you, yeah, John 3, 16. God said, love the Lord. You know, I said, Lord, I don't have to quote where it came from. I just want to know the, the verse. Yes. But I didn't want to go around here and every, and we having a conversation and I'm saying, and in Matthew 6, and da 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 da, da I just want to know your word. And I want to know your word so well that I understand it. Not to recite it, but that I understand it. And that's when I learned how to really receive the word, it was not just keep reading it so I can recite it. I learned how to go and look up words, get the better understanding and the definition of it so that I would have the precept of what it's actually saying. Because when you get the precept of what the word is saying and not just learn to verbalize what you just saw, then you can actually visualize it how it's written on the pages because you have a clear understanding of the intent of what is actually saying in the revelation of it and not just a bunch of words. So you don't know just the letter of the word. You know the spirit of the word. Amen. Amen. And when you understand the spirit of the word, you can stand on it. Because you know it's going to come to pass. God is not a man who will lie. And he says, prove me. Try me. But the problem is, we've been lied to for so long with bogus, wrong doctrine that we want it microwave all the time. And if it doesn't happen all the time, then you think either you've done something wrong or somebody lied to you. Well, you see, the good news is, because God don't operate like that, when you do get it, it's lasting. Amen. It ain't going nowhere. Amen. So wait. Wait on the Lord. Be patient. Wait. Wait on the Lord. Amen. For if you faint not in due season, you shall reap. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Okay. Um, uh, okay, verse 3. As I besought thee, to abide still, he says, I'm urging you to abide still at Ephesus. When I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest, ch mightest charge some that they reach no, that they, I'm sorry, that they teach no other doctrine. So he says, I want you to admonish those not to teach 
any other doctrine. Okay? Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. I know you have probably had contact with uh, some people uh, that are either in the church or have read something in the Bible, but they're not saved, and they want to proclaim whether or not Jesus is black. Because if he's black, then he's for us. They want to they, 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 they talk about uh, how poorly we as black people have been treated due to slavery, as, as if we, the, we were the poster child for slavery when slavery has been going on from the beginning. Amen. Yeah. And when, when in Jesus' time, it progressed even worse. And, 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 and we couldn't possibly be the poster children for slavery when the Jews was, was the first in Jesus' time to be put in slavery and still being persecuted. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. But it really doesn't matter. That's right. Amen. Are you in slavery now? Since you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, who is enslaving you? Don't let the enemy enslave your thought pattern that will keep you in the bondage that God never set up for you. He, he, Jesus came to set us free from the captives. That's what the Bible says. So it don't matter who the captives are. And it first begins here so that it can get in here. Amen. And so we, we don't need to be sitting up having those kinds of debates and arguments, wasting precious time. And it says those kinds of things minister questions. <laughs> and and, and, and in other words, they cause great disputes. Okay? Rather than godly edifying, which is in the faith. So do. He says, do some godly edifying. That's the faith. That's what we should be talking and having great discussions about. Same things that's going to edify the hearer. Yes, yes. Okay? He says, now the end of the commandment is charity. In other words, the purpose of the commandment is love. But the love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned or sincere faith. Now let me read you my commentary for those two verses. It, and it says that Timothy is put to an end to the teaching of false doctrine. He's been, he's being, you know, not that he was teaching it, but admonished about these false doctrines. Okay, I better read some of this other stuff so you won't be confused. He says, we may read verses three and four as follows that you might command certain people not to teach other doctrines, nor to give heed to myths and endless genealogies. Timothy is to put an end to the teaching of false doctrine, which ministers questions rather than godly edifying. They promote useless speculations rather than God's work. Oh, wow. Attention given to the circulating false doctrines, fables, and genealogies does not assist believers in carrying out responsibilities divinely entrusted to them, but give rise to idle queries. 
This verse could be translated as follows. But the goal of this command is love from a pure heart, from a clear conscience, and from genuine faith. The goal of Timothy's command of forbidding false teaching is not all negative. Its positive aim is to bring about true love in Christians. Note the spiritual evolution here. Genuine faith in Christ produces a clear conscience. That is, one clear of offense before God by Jesus atonement. This in turn leads to a pure heart that is a life free of sin, a life free of sin, and this brings about love for God and others. You know, that's a, that's a very important statement because when your heart is not riddled with love, then it's easy for all of those other negative emotions to take over. And, and, and this is why you have to talk to your soul and your brain. Well, your brain and all that is part of the soul. You have to talk to it to um, cast down, dismantle those things, and then to think on the things that we need to think on that tells us in Philippians. Why? So that we're not overcome by evil. But we can overcome evil with good. Amen? So it's a battle. It's a constant battle. And that's why I keep saying, just because you've thought of something, don't make it right. So you, you challenge that with the Lord. Because you have an opinion about something, definitely don't make it right. If it's not biblically based, if you can't prove it out by the Bible, that's what I mean, the precepts of the Bible can't support your opinion, then you need to let it go. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Because any truth, moral truth, comes from a good conscience is supported in this word. Because he gives us wisdom to think things out rationally. This is what the Bible tells us. He gives us the wisdom to think things out rationally because we are basing it on what we have deposited from this book in our spirit. Amen? Verse 6. From which some having swayed or strayed have turned aside unto vain jangling. Well, idle talk. You, uh, what, 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 what spirit? Oh, that lying spirit. <laughs> Where all that false flattery and all that stuff come up under. Okay. <laughs> des des desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Now, thank you, Jesus. I just had a thought that came to me. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm going to read this verse again, and then I'm going to give you my little example. Designed to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. You don't understand the law. Now, what I want to, what I want to talk about, because in Romans, I think it's chapter 13 that talks about how we're supposed to um, um, submit and respect the authority and the government authority. Okay? All right? So when... When they start putting us on shutdown and closing the churches and telling us what we could do or cannot do, 
in the church and, 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 and some of the people were angry and upset because you're not obeying the law and you're not obeying the government because that's what it says in the Bible. That's because you don't know God, so you don't know the law and understand the law correctly in order to talk to the talk that you're talking. Are y'all with me? In Romans chapter 13, we, God sanctioned the office, not the people. The offices of our government is sanctioned and set up by God. The people are elected by the people. Don't make them right. So you don't follow anything that goes against what God has to say concerning the matter. And so you're operating out of religious spirit, talking yang, because fear has overpowered your ability to discern what the word is saying and have it line upon line and precept upon precept. It has nothing to do with what you're so faithful walking up to the Lord. No, you're so fearful that you had to find something to support your fear. Verse 8, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully lawfully, which fits God's law. Hmm. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners. You see, it's not made for the righteous man. Why? Because righteous men are moved by love, which means you automatically obey what's right. Okay? So it's made for those, because that's what the law is there, to keep the lawlessness under control, the disobedient, which are the rebellious, in line, uh, for the ungodly and for the for sinners, and, um, and 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 for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for homongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjurer, perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, I'm going to read out of my commentary with some of those terminologies is where he is broken down for you, okay? The law is not made for a righteous man. The law is not valid for a righteous person. Implies that the heresy of verses 6 and 7 are misusing the law, trying to impose it on the Christian. Properly used, the law benefits unbelievers in pointing out their sin. We don't have to have the law to point out our sin. We got the Holy Spirit that points out our sin and causes us to turn, reverse, and go in the right direction. Okay? It says, in leading them to Christ, the lawless are criminals. The disobedient are the rebellious. The ungodly are the godless that is showing no reverence for God. Sinners are those failing to measure up to divine standards. Now, that's the difference between us as believers who sin than sinners. Sinners sin all the time. A believer will sin but have the right and the opportunity to confess and turn from their wicked ways. If you are practicing sin, you're not a believer. Because you don't practice sin, you practice faith. And that faith have you walking in the righteousness that was pronounced on you and put on you by the blood of Jesus. 
okay? It says, um, sinners are those failing to measure up to divine standards. The unholy are impure. Profane means defiling sacred things. Whoremongers are fornicators. Them that defile themselves with mankind are homosexuals. Men stealers are kidnappers. Sound doctrine means healthy teaching. The Bible properly taught is a sort of spiritual medicine that heals man's diseases, moral nature, making him spiritually and ethically sound and healthy. So if you feel like you're losing your mind, read the Bible. You don't need to go to the psychiatrist and take no medication. You need to read the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit come in and reveal some things to you so that you can turn and take control over your thought pattern. Amen. It says, verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So Paul is telling them, all of these things I'm saying is according to the gospel that God committed to my trust. So 1 Corinthians 9 and um, verses um, 16 through 18. It says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity it is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So you don't glory in the fact. You, you really need to be thinking, God, you really chose me? Because it is not about you. It's not about us at all, okay? He says, um, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. He says there's a stewardship. That's what that means. There's a stewardship of the gospel that has been entrusted unto me. As a steward of the gospel, just like he made parents stewards over your children, that means you're to govern them and, and, and nurture them and lead them in the way of Christ till Jesus comes back to get them. They really don't belong to you. That's a loan. God loaned his children to you to, for you to give back. He says, you remember in, 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 in I think it's Luke or, or Mark, where he talks about the sower, uh, um, the two, three swords that sowed a seed, and then he says where the, the one took what he had and buried it, and he said if you were a good steward, then you would have caused it to increase and multiply, so when I come back, I will get back greater than what I've given you. Well, that's what he expects when he gives us children, that you nurture them and you do all that you're supposed to do, well, they will be better and greater than what they were when you received them in your loins, okay? Well, that's what we're supposed to do even with the gospel. We are stewards over it. So God has loaned us his word to study it and then to speak it out for his people to grow and change from it to become better than what they were before they heard the word. Amen. Amen. So this is what Paul is talking about. Verse 18 says, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, hmm, I may present the gospel. That's what that means. 
make, uh, present the gospel of Christ without charge. <laughs> that I abuse not my power or my authority in the gospel. See, hallelujah, Jesus. That's, that's what b b bothers me when people in the, in the body of Christ are producing literature, all kinds of things that if we hear it, it's going to improve us. It's going to better us, but we got to pay a high price to get it. I have always had a problem with that. I've never understood it because one thing I did learn it, uh, uh, in my, my newborn state was, he says, freely I give. So if it was freely given to me, who am I to put such a high cost on it that it, it, it causes people to be in debt in order to get it? You know what I'm saying? But this, 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 this book, Timothy is very challenging. Hallelujah, Jesus. But the good news is, regardless to all of the little doctrinal things, you have an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord, not just your Savior, but as your Lord. And you know, as a Lord, you follow the dictates of the one who's governing you. If he's your Lord, then he tells you what to do, what not to do, where to go, where you can't go, how you need to look, all of that. Do you lean on him? Do you trust him for it? Or you just go about life doing whatever you, you think you need to do without giving him any regards to what you're doing. Do you, do you even ask him about what to put on? Amen. I do. I don't just get up. Oh, I'm like, Holy Ghost, help me. What? And that's, that's not being religious. That's being dependent on the one who saved me. Because he, he knows more than what I know. I don't know how the day is going to go, who I'm going to be before and why and whatever it is communicating to them that will help to edify them. Amen. Amen. So we, we gotta learn to accept Jesus Christ more than a ticket to heaven. He's a way of life. He says, I am the life. I am the light. I am the way. And any who comes to me that's the only way you're going to get to the Father. So understanding that then, where are your prayers going if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? Where do your prayers go? Because he says, the only way to the Father is through me. So that means the Father is not obligated to listen to your prayers or answer your prayers if you haven't formed a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Now is the time. Now is the time. It's a crucial time that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and that we go out and we share that good news 
with all of those that we have any influence or contact with so that they can be saved because you don't want none of the people that you've had the opportunity and that you know to miss it when Jesus comes back to rapture the church. You know, um, at the tribulation time, there will be some people who will have the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But guess what? That's after things have hit so hard that they realize now, oh, I need you, Jesus. You don't want Jesus like that. You want to be a free will. Because they will have to do some suffering. If you're going to hang around for tribulation, you're going to have to do some great suffering. And you're going to be awakened to some stuff that's going to mess your mind up. I do not want to be here for tribulation. You have the opportunity now, the first, to accept him as your Lord and Savior. What, what are you waiting for? Because this life here does not provide anything for you that would make it worth the wait at the end. There is nothing or no one that can fulfill you the way Christ will fulfill you. Because everything natural and on this earth is momentary. But what happens with Christ is eternal. It's everlasting. And if you're gonna do the trade-off, then you need to go with Jesus and leave the other to Satan. Amen? So, we just need to say, Heavenly Father, I need Jesus. I want Jesus to be the center of my life. I need new life in him, and I need his light to lead me and guide me in the path of righteousness. Thank you, Father, for letting me live another day to accept this precious gift. My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. <laughs> the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Traveling mercies for you as you leave this place. And when you leave, tell somebody about Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord.